Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Yes, that's right. It is the Hot Stove Show. We are very happy to have you along with us. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill on Gary, what is an absolutely jam-packed hot stove this week and a hot stove Coming off some pretty big news for the Mariners. Mariners got a new infielder, Gare. They do have a new infielder, and we're going to talk to Justin Hollander all about it. That's a pretty significant deal. It just so happens, too, that we're going to talk to his former teammate, Mitch Garver, as well. Get some real insight on Jorge Polanco, the newest Mariner. Man, that changes a yeah. lot when you think really about this, this lineup, this infield. Uh, for the Mariners uh, going into 2024, that is, as we'll hear from Justin, this is somebody that they have had their eyes on for uh, really a long time at this point. And the flexibility it gives uh, Scott Service making out the lineup, uh, hopefully uh, a healthy season for Polanco. He was stung by the injury bug a little bit last year, but we've seen him from afar, Gary. This is this is a, a real professional that the Mariners have gotten. Yeah, you know, I saw a quote from Ron Darling about Polanco, and I thought it he summed him up really well. He said, you forget sometimes how good Polanco is. I think that is a great way to put it because he's not necessarily the guy that you're looking at like, whoa, but there he is, good year after good year after good year, just a real pro, really consistent. And when you're looking at the Mariners lineup, I, I think – he not only raises the floor of what the lineup can be, but he's a guy that can hit in the middle of the order and be super productive. And so I think this move is enormous for the Mariners. Totally agree. Uh, we will be joined by Mitch Garver, another new Mariner this year, two-year deal to come over and be the Mariners' primary DH. He's fresh off winning a World Series with the Texas Rangers. Uh, a name that uh, folks probably aren't too familiar with, Justin Toole, who oversees the Mariners minor league system. Uh, he will be going into his second season. We get to talk some uh, minor league philosophy with Justin Toole, some of the guys that have really excited him down on the farm, and just overall integrating the minors and the majors and making it one language, right? One cohesive group. He's got some really interesting things to say about that. And along the lines of the minor leagues, one of the Mariners' top prospects joins us in the second hour, Colt Emerson, uh, who has a lot of great things to say, including, I think, Gary, one of the more interesting uh, draft day stories that we've heard. <laughs> 
perhaps the best drafting story we've heard. <laughs> no, it's really great. After last week, we talked to Kyle Glazer, who had glowing things to say about Colt Emerson. I thought it'd be fun to get Colt on the phone, chat chat with Colt a little bit, who's off to a very strong start in the Mariners minor league system. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine his uh, early days as a professional going much better. Uh, so Colt Emerson will join us uh, near the end of the program. When we come back on the hot stove, we are joined by the general manager of the Mariners, Justin Hollander. He tells us all about the latest deal. Jorge Polanco is a Mariner, and we will hear from the GM coming up next on the hot stove. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Here's the windup and the pitch swung on, belted deep to right field. Kelnick going back, looking up, and that's in the upper deck. Goodbye, baseball. Jorge Polanco with his first home run of the year. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And it's great to be joined by the Mariners general manager, Justin Hollander. Justin, uh, man, big, big news last night. Uh, swinging a, a very significant trade with the Minnesota Twins. And the Mariners receiving Jorge Polanco. Uh, first of all, this seems like a guy that you all have had circled for some time. Tell us, uh, when did your interest begin in Polanco? It's it's definitely two or more years in the making. Um, we first connected with the Twins. They were you know coming out of the lockout season in 2021 or into the season of 2021 after the lockout. They were a team I think that we naturally lined up with. They were looking for young pitching. We had a lot of it at the time. They had a lot of position players. And for whatever reason, even though our front offices are very close and we have a lot of friendly relationships, we've just never been able to match up. But Jorge is someone that we've targeted for a long time. And it, it was a big day yesterday for, for us, for our baseball group. It's someone that, you know, universally, um, both what he does on the field and what he brings from our understanding off the field, makeup leadership wise, it, that we've had a great deal of interest in over the years. So with Polanco on the infield, where does he fit and where are the dominoes with the rest of the infield after that? It's a great question that I don't totally have the answer to. I think our expectation is that he will primarily play second base. He has a lot of experience at second, at short, and some at third as well. Um, there could be scenarios where we do a little flip-flop depending on everybody's comfort level and he plays some third base uh, as well. We'll get into spring and we'll figure out where everybody's comfort level is, but I think you know, wherever he plays, he will primarily play in one spot. And I think that will be second base as we as we talk today. We're joined by general manager Justin Hollander. You know, Polanco is one of those guys. We've, we've seen him for so long in the central with the Twins. And when you go into a series against the Twins, you know, your first thought maybe is, all right, is, is Buxton healthy? Okay, now what's, what's Correa doing? And then you show up and you write your lineups in and you're like, oh, man, Polanco's having a really good season again. Uh, what is it about Polanco that attracts you so much as a player? It, it's a lot of things. You know, if you look over, you know, however you want to split it, and I don't want to be the guy who just throws nuggets out there for the, the listeners, um, but, like, whatever split you want to do, he's one of the better offensive second baseman in the big leagues over the last three years five years however you want to break it down he's consistently an above average offensive performer who really controls the strike zone who makes good swing decisions and the switch hit component the way our roster is built is enormous you know we talked a lot about different players this offseason and you know I, whether it was our analytics group whether it was our personnel and scouting group everybody kept coming back to him being kind of a unicorn for our roster um, because of the switch hit component and being platoon neutral from both sides and playing potentially either second or third. Those are just pieces that while individually would have made him attractive, collectively made him really unique in this marketplace as a player that was actually acquirable. 
And we were really focused on, is there a way we can get this done because of what it does for Scott in building a lineup every day. And I don't want to write the line out of lineup out for Scott, but the idea of going something like left, right, switch, right, switch to start the order gives Scott a ton of flexibility. Can you give us more line detail as to what you think the lineup will be, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> Not without our manager being mad at me. <laughs> As we know, whenever you get something, you have to give something up. And Justin Topa was not only, I think, one of the great stories in baseball last year, but was phenomenal in the bullpen for you last year. How do you envision the bullpen moving forward? Do you anticipate adding more to it, or is this group kind of what you see moving forward? I think this will be the bulk of what we see moving forward. Um, we have always been pretty active in the bullpen markets, um, whether that's small trades, um, players that are included as part of bigger trades that we like and have identified for a while, free agency. That's a market where I think we've done well in, in the past. Um, I, I said it yesterday. I don't want to promise we'll do something because I honestly don't know. I think it's possible that we do something and it is an area we're always looking to add to. Losing Tope is a loss for us. Like he was awesome for us last year. And I think, you know, we will have to make up for his some loss as a collective. It's probably not just going to be one person that we go trade for or sign and be like, oh, there's our new Justin Topa. He's going to pitch an X role. You know, we haven't really used the bullpen like that in a number of years anyway. Um, we've matched up and we've looked at pockets for lineups. And now we need to find someone to fill the Topa pocket that we had last year. And it's going to be hard to replicate that because he was great. You know, I think at the back end, we feel really confident. We think we have three real guys uh, with with Mooney, Brash, and Gabe Spire, who was phenomenal for us last year. And now we need to build around those guys. And we saw a lot of guys on our team that contributed in a positive way last year. Sauce was great for us last year uh, in a variety of different roles, in a second lefty role and, and a sometimes leverage role. Um, Trent Thornton came in and was really tough on the righties uh, after we acquired him last year. He'll be in the mix. And then we like bridged to our length guys. And you know that's why we went out and acquired and signed Austin Voth uh, a few days ago um, to add to our, our depth and length so that if something like this came to be, we wouldn't feel quite as as empty in the, the length bucket uh, of our bullpen without Descalfani. I mean, the track record speaks for itself, uh, starting with Paul Sewald and then going down, I mean, Topa himself, Inspire, and everyone else. How much confidence do you have knowing that, hey, your system has produced guys like this the last three years? Confident, yes. I I would like to think we're not arrogant about it, though. Like mm -hmm. that's you know, like the credit for the success of those players primarily belongs to those players. And we don't have magic dust. Uh, I really believe in our group. Our group has done a phenomenal job with you know, starting with the analytics group and Joel Furman heading up kind of the pitching end of that. John Edwards does a great job uh, with that. Obviously, Dave Cameron on the sort of the player personnel, player acquisition end of uh. Uh, of the bucket uh, does great. And then our coaching group, whether it was Max Wiener and Matt Pierpont in the minor leagues or, or Pete Woodworth and Trent Blank in the big leagues, like, you know, all these names are huge contributors to the process working out, but no one contributes more than the player himself. And so we need to go out and make sure that we give our coaches and our front office more guys to throw into the mix to make sure that we can, you know, fill the void that's been left by Tope and then before him, Seawald. General Manager Justin Hollander is our guest here on the hot stove. You mentioned earlier about Polanco. You know what he is as a player and from all the reports that you've gotten him as a, a clubhouse presence and just as a guy. He's he's a known quantity in the big leagues. He's been around for quite some time. Was that a kind of um, 
personnel scouting report, if you will, on Polanco? Like, is that something that just he's been around long enough that enough people in the organization had heard things or do you deep dive on that somehow? What's that process like? We, we do typically a lot of background work on players, particularly in bigger acquisitions like this, um, whether it's talking to um, people who have coached him before or played with him before. We have the benefit that he shares representation with our center fielder. Um, so that's helpful. Um, and uh, he and he and Julio, among others, are in kind of like the, the workout guru in Tampa that I think contains like Julio and uh polo and adolis garcia and i think jordan alvarez is in that workout group like basically like an all-star team of like the the best most talented hitters in the world all work out together in the offseason in tampa so i know um scott service was down visiting julio um last week and was devastated to have missed polo by like 10 minutes because he wanted to try and do a little self-scouting on what what polo was like but you know we've asked enough questions over the years and gotten all universally incredibly positive feedback on what he brings to the table uh, that we feel very confident it's a big ad both on the field which is a little easier to figure out and then off the field can be harder and we feel really good about what he's going to bring to the table in that element the former shortstop obviously moved over there when they signed Correa how how does he fit defensively if he's a primary second baseman He's always been versatile enough and has always had the hands for the middle infield to work. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is determining where his best comfort level is at, whether it's at second or third. He did both last year, obviously played more second base. Um, We feel like he will bring a stability uh, component to whichever one of those positions he plays. And again, I think it'll be second base and allow the group of Dylan Moore, uh, Luis Arias, and Josh Rojas to rotate through a number of spots, which they've all done in their career. And again, give Scott more freedom, more depth to play the matchups a little bit, to give guys days off, which I think is really valuable uh, as our team is situated today. Justin, you got to give us some insight on the um, the reconnaissance that Scott does. I mean, like, do you guys have an internal Slack feed? And it's just like, Scott Service, 11.52 a.m., Julio looking super jacked. <laughs> I did get I did get one of those actually. I got a text and a video of Julio looking super jacked. Uh, and, uh, the bigger scouting report was on the facility that Julio was working out on, which Scott was very impressed by, and uh, apparently he spent a, a great deal of time uh, talking to Julio and the other people around the facility. Uh, it, it, he was blown away by the offseason prep and work. Uh, and from what I understand, the recon revealed that no one works harder in that workout group than Polanco. So it was it was it was good feedback. And I, I know this is nothing that. Uh, this is, I, I guess, the better way to put it is it's seems like it's industry standard. Uh, but whenever we talk to anyone in baseball ops or the coaching staff this time of year, you know, we hear that Scott was in Florida. Uh, Jarrett DeHart was in Colorado, right? Like you guys have all these touch points for players. How is that orchestrated? Because that's clearly a priority to get boots on the ground. And there's some some miles that are logged by people within the org to go out and visit players. I think it's just building trust with our players, particularly either existing players or and like particularly in new players. They you know they don't know our coaches, and there's a real trust factor that comes with you know meeting them where their feet are, both figuratively and literally, um, and checking in on them. You know, making sure that you understand what they're working on, why they're working on it. Um, and I think it's a really important part of our process um, for connecting. I, I I know I've talked about it before, but you know from our players that are in the Dominican Republic all the way to the big leagues. We do a player plan both off season and in season with every player. Uh, It's something we take very seriously um, that our group spends a ton of time on. 
it's really hard for those to be as good as they can be if you're not willing to go meet the player where they are in the offseason and just check on them, have a lunch and talk about how they're feeling and what they're working on um, and just make sure um, that you understand what's in their head. You know, Scott and Woody went to the Dominican Republic last week and went fishing with Luis Castillo for a day. Um, so like that, you know, they offered me the trip and I passed on the fishing trip uh, to the Dominican. I, you know, other things going on, but that that's important for our players to show them that you care enough to get on a plane and, and travel across the country or out of the country to meet with them. So what does that process look like for a guy that you just acquired during the offseason? Like a, a number of guys that you have this offseason, like Luke Rayleigh, for example, and Polanco. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously it's the end of the offseason, so we'll probably see Polo in spring training and, mm -hmm. and not before then. Um, in, in the case of, like, Mitch Garver, you know, J.D., Jared DeHart, our hitting coach, is familiar with the facility uh, in Colorado that, that Mitch works out in. Um, and knows the people there. So I think he felt it was just worth his time uh, to go spend a day with Mitch um, and, you know, get to see what he's working on, connect with other people in the, the private hitting academy world that he already knows, and just make sure that, you know, going into spring, everyone's on the same page about what, what was worked on in the offseason. I do feel like Castillo has caught a Marlin before. I feel like you should not have passed on that just in case. I mean... <laughs> I don't have enough Dramamine in my 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 can my just at my disposal for me to, to to go on the the fishing boat with the Rock and Woody and Scott. We're gonna have to find some pictures at some point. That's good. That's good. Now, Justin, that's good intel you just provided there. You saved your best for the last. That's what I'm here for. Grand finale. <laughs> hey, Justin, we appreciate it. Uh, congrats on on swinging the trade. It's a a very impactful one, and we certainly appreciate the time, man. Thanks for having me. See you guys in a couple weeks. You got it. When we come back, we're joined by one of the newest Mariners, designated hitter Mitch Garver joins us on the hot stove after this timeout. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. And the pitch is swinging a fly ball, center field deep. Hamilton going back, still going. Hamilton at the wall, that ball's gone! Garver with a home run! It's the Hot Stove Show, Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill, and it's really a treat to be joined by one of the newest members of the Mariners. It is Mitch Garver joining us on the program. Mitch, it's wonderful to be with you. First of all, welcome to the Mariners. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We're, we're very excited. My wife and I are excited. It's, it's going to be a cool experience to play up in the, the Northwest because um, my wife went to school up there at Oregon State. Uh, we, we spent a good amount of time up there in that area, and uh, it's just a special place and, and a good place for baseball. Now, is your wife from the Northwest originally, or did she just find a way into Corvallis for college? Yeah, so she, she found a way into Corvallis. We actually met in high school. We've been dating since uh, since then. We went to undergrad together at UNM, and then she's she went to graduate school at Oregon State. She's a veterinarian. Oh, very cool. I mean, how many animals do you guys have? <laughs> We only have two right now because the travel with the two dogs is uh, too much for us, actually. So uh, once we're done with baseball and we settle down a little bit, we'll, we'll have a few more dogs and probably a cat. Uh, but right now, just just two dogs. And they, they take up a lot of our time with the two kids also. Hey, you had uh, it sounds like speaking of your wife, you had a, a really incredible, I don't know, maybe five to seven day stretch of time where your wife was expecting a child and what well, your second child is that right second child yeah and you were in the process of finalizing a deal as a, a, a lucrative free agent contract with the mariners uh, what was that period of time in your life like 
guys, seven days would have been a lot easier than the one day that I actually had. So we agreed upon a contract and uh, I was going to fly up to Seattle to, to go through the physical sign, meet some, meet some people. Um, the day I leave, I'm in the air on a three and a half hour flight to Seattle. I get a text that Sarah is going to the hospital. Um, she's starting contractions and, and thinking that she's going into labor. So I'm in the air, right? I touch down. I head over to the stadium. We get the physical done as fast as possible. And she tells me, you know, her water just broke and, and she's in the hospital for good. And uh, the, the Mariners are actually great because the, the travel guy moved up my flight about two hours. So I was able to get in and out of Seattle in about 90 minutes. And I was back on another plane home to have another baby. Well, shout out to Jack Mossman. <laughs> yeah, Jack crushed it because actually the original flight got delayed about an hour and a half. And I don't know if I would have made it home in time because by the time I got to the airport, drove to the hospital, got back in Denver, uh, it was about another two hours until the baby came. So it was uh, it was a tight schedule, and we were able to pull it off. Now that's a day. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you call stress, boys. That was a little bit of stress. Whoa. Well, congrats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but all all things are good. Like, baby's good, mom is good. Um, he's healthy. He's God. He's, he put on a pound in a week. I don't know if that's like normal or what, but he's <laughs> going to be a monster, a monster that's child. That's amazing. Hey, when you look at this yeah. situation with the Mariners, what what excites you the most about being a part of this team? Um, I you know it's it's a division that's within reach, right? You saw it last year, the Rangers. We might not have been the favorites to, to win the division, and obviously we didn't win the division, but it's it's in reach. And this team has such a good pitching staff. I think that's that's kind of the center stone of, of this team and this organization is the pitching that they're able to accumulate. Starting pitching is great. Back into the bullpen is great. There's been some really exciting additions on the lineup side. I played with Jorge Polanco. He's one of my one of my good friends, good teammates. He's a great player, contact base, has some pop, plays a good second base. You know, Luke Rayleigh, I played with him too with the Twins. Great power, had an, had an incredible year last year. And uh, bringing back Mitch Hanniger, super exciting player to be around. And we're not even talking about the future MVP in Julio. He's kind of a, a nuisance to play against um, just because of how talented he is. But I'm super excited to be on his team because the, the future is very bright for that man. A lot of directions we can go off of those comments. Uh, Mitch Garver is with us here on the hot stove. Mitch, uh, first of all, let's let's backtrack and go to Polanco for a moment. That's the biggest recent news for the Mariners. They strike a trade with uh, one of your former teams, the Twins, and bring over Jorge Polanco, who we, we've seen afar from for a number of years, former all-star, switch hit, can do a lot of stuff. What makes him, you touched on a couple of things, but when you think about your time with, with Jorge Polanco, what is it that you think about the most that makes him such a great player? Yeah, so, so you touched on it, uh, being a switch hitter. He's one of the better bad ball hitters that I've, that I've played with. And that's not, that's not a knock on him for any reason. You know, he can get to two strikes. He can put a ball in play that's out of the strike zone and get a hit. He just has a knack for getting hits. Um, he has a knack for, for getting on base. Um, he's got some speed. Um, you know, he can steal bases. He can score from first. He can do a lot of things um, offensively that are, that are pretty special. And then defensively, he, he has the prowess to play the middle infield. He's played shortstop for many years. 
He transitioned over to, to second base when uh, the Twins signed Correa. He's been able to play a really good second base in his time there. And he's just a smart baseball player, right? Like he's, he understands the game. He has a knack for, for just making good baseball plays. You mentioned the pitching staff and you would know you've been in this division. You have faced these guys, you faced Castillo and Kirby and Gilbert in the back end as well. What makes this staff so good? Not only do they have stuff, but, but the way they pitch, right? The, the aggressiveness that they pitch with. I think the, the analytics and advanced department does a really good job of breaking down opposing lineups. They're able to attack hitters weaknesses and they're pretty stubborn about it. Uh, you know, they, they go in with a game plan and they stick to it. And that's one of the harder things about facing the Mariners is, you know, they're, they're kind of relentless when it comes to, to their approach. It's, it's been well documented over the years that um, the Mariners staff has one of the lower arm release heights on the mound. And, and basically what that means is, you know, when they're, when they're releasing the ball, it's lower than the average MLB pitcher. And so what it does to a hitter is it kind of, throws off their perception of what the ball's actually doing. Um, so it's pretty unique in that aspect. They, 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 it's kind of something that they go for, um, a lower release height. It makes the velocity play up higher. It makes the breaking balls perceive a little bit different. And um, it's, it's very hard to game plan against. Mitch, are you a nerd? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am a nerd. And, you know, and I say that because I love talking hitting. But when it comes to talking hitting against the Mariners staff, it was always so difficult because there's so many ways they attack you. They have velocity, they have spin, they have, they got change-ups and splitters. They have all these pitches and they're all from unique angles. And uh, it's just, it's really difficult to game plan it. Uh, I'm, I'm just really fascinated hearing you talk uh, pitching and, and uh, how to approach it from a hitter's perspective. When did you start to develop this type of mindset for the game? Was it as early as you can remember, or has this been something, are you a more recent adopter of, of how you view baseball like this? Um, you know, it's been over the past few years. I think uh, the guy who had a big influence on me was Josh Donaldson. And, and we would sit and talk baseball after games for hours. Uh, you know, we had him for a few years with the twins and the way he thought about hitting was a little bit different. And I think it changed my perception of it. And, you know, coming over from the Rangers, we had Donnie Ecker, who's, who's a uh, game planning mastermind, really, really good about breaking down pitchers and, and how we're going to attack teams. And, you know, it just kind of changed my perception on it because I have both the hitting and the catching side of it. And, and I think just when I look at the Seattle staff and, and I look at pitching in general throughout major leagues, it's changing and it's always fluid and there's always something new that's going to come out and it's going to be the new trend. And I just think the Mariners are on the front end of some of those newer age pitching philosophies. Since you entered the major leagues, how have you changed as a hitter till this point? Uh, shoot, man. I'll be the first to tell you I've changed something every single year. <laughs> I came in um, when I first debuted in uh, 2017, I had a little bit of power, um, you know, but I could hit for average pretty good. And, um, I was able to put the ball in play and, and you know, get on base. But I realized that uh, for me to to really make a career out of out of my position as a catcher and a slow runner, you know, I had to drive the baseball. I had to hit the ball over the fence. Um, so going into 2019, I made a few adjustments before the season. I wanted to really focus on hitting pole side loft and, and getting the ball in the air at pole side. Um, that was the year I won the silver slugger. I was able to impact the fastball pretty good. And I've changed something every single year to try to keep up with the game because it's always changing. 
you know, I want to get, I want to get better at hitting breaking balls. I want to be able to, to, you know, take a certain pitch away from a pitcher at, at any given time. And sometimes you have to, to bring out your, your 56 degree wedge and kind of punch something the other way in order to keep the ball moving. Um, so it's just something, you know, you got to be adaptable. You have to be unique and you have to be able to, to change things on the fly in order to be successful. One of the things that stands out when I look at your profile is you have mashed four seam fastballs. What has made you such a great four seam fastball hitter? I was able to to learn from Jason Columbus, one of my good friends. Um, you know, he taught me how to be short. He taught me how to be compact and really keep that, that idea that you hit off the fastball and you adjust everything else. And it's just something I've had a knack for is being able to hit velocity, um, get on top of, of those fastballs that have that perceived ride to them. And uh, it's something that I've, I've learned is, is very important in today's game, especially with the way the velocity is going. He is Mariners DH, Mitch Garver. We've got more with Mitch coming up after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Miller's pitch. Swung on, cracked into the gap, right center field, racing over Teoscar Julio there, can't make the catch, he plays it on a hop, Garcia scores easily, into third goes Young, sliding his second is Garver, the third extra base hit of the inning, another run in, it is 5-0 Rangers here in the third. Welcome back, it's the Hot Stove Show, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill as we continue our conversation with Mariners DH Mitch Garver. Mitch, when I hear you talk uh, about that and, and some of the points that Gary has brought up, it seems like you, and you're obviously an experienced veteran at this point, but you seem to really know who you are as a hitter. And we hear Scott Service talk about that. Uh, we we hear other players and coaches within the organization talk about, you know, basically be the best version of yourself. Who are you? And do whatever that is the best that you possibly can. Did that take time for you to discover? Uh, or is that something that you've especially locked in recently? I would say a little bit of both. You know, I've had some years where I came off my game plan and I wasn't the player that I knew I could be. There's years where I really stuck to a game plan and, and I was consistent with accepting who I was as a hitter. And those are some of my more successful years. And I think, you know, having a little bit of both is, is a really good thing for myself as an individual, but it also brings a lot to the team. You know, you got you to gotta have a team that's versatile. You have to have a team that's able to do multiple things and attack pitchers in different ways. You know, I, I learned who I am as a player is 
you know, a guy that can hit off the fastball and, and be that impact bat in the middle of the lineup. And, you know, there's other guys that do things better. And that's what makes teams successful is having that, that ability to do different things. We just saw Joe Maurer get elected to the Hall of Fame. You were teammates in Minnesota. How much impact did he have on you in your career? A lot. A lot. He was one of my favorite players when I was growing up. And it's funny because I played in the Northwoods League up in Minnesota, and uh, I played there for two summers when I was in college. And I remember going to watch a Twins game one time. We sat up in the nosebleeds, and I was way up there. It was a day game, and Joe was catching, and, and you know, he's hitting second or third or whatever, and he, he works a full count and was able to hit a ball up the middle for a single. And I just thought, you know, he makes it look really easy. It, it never looks like he's under stress. And so it was really cool to get drafted by the Twins and work my way up through the system and eventually be able to have a spring training with Joe. That was just like the coolest thing. And, um, you know, watch him go about his work as, as a teammate. Uh, you know, he was able to um, go about his day just like anybody else, prepare for a game, go out there, ho-hum, three for four, a couple RBIs, um, just a, a pro's pro. I really could have wished – I really wish I would have been able to play with him at, when he was catching, uh, but he played a really, really good first base too. And, you know, he's that silent leader that, that leads by example, and I'm just so happy for him. You know, he deserves a Hall of Fame. He's, he's put up a heck of a career, and he's just a better person too. Well, it must be pretty bizarre for you, Mitch, to think about that kid in the Northwoods League, and now you're a World Series champion. Uh, what, what is the best part of winning a World Series? Well, you know, it's I, I've always lived under this idea that it was never a successful season if you didn't win the last game of the year, and we won the last game of the year, and it was, you know, to to do it on that stage with that with that group of guys, and I think the most the most fun part was being able to see how each guy rose to the occasion. And, and you really, you get to learn a lot about your teammates and a lot about players when you see them play under that type of pressure and, and be able to just perform at that level. And I think, you know, you learn a lot about yourself as well. And I think uh, yeah, I'll be better for it. Uh, being able to win a world series, have that under my belt, gain that experience of playing in those high leverage games like that. It's, it's something that'll, nobody can ever take away from you. Right. When, World Series champ and and being able to to have that in my resume. How different is the pressure on that stage? You know, I've had, a lot of people ask me about this, and the best way I can say it is like there's when you watch a World Series from TV or in the stands, like you see a lot of the things that go along with it. Um, you see the 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 hype and the promotions and the, all the the excitement and the scouting reports and all this stuff, but. Once the game starts, it's really just baseball. And, and a lot of the, the little things matter, and it's super important to be specific about game planning and what pitches you swing at and, you know, making all the plays, making the routine plays, moving guys over. There's just so many little things that are so important in that, in that level of play. And it's not just the World Series. You know, you, you can't – you have to play that way all year. You have to put emphasis on the little things all year in order to win those games, in order to get yourself in a position to make it to the playoffs. And I think once you establish those, those routines early in the year, you know, it's, it, it bleeds into the postseason, and, and that's just the team you are. You know, you, you make those little things important, and you get the job done when you need to. It is amazing, though, Mitch, when, when the Rangers rolled into Seattle 
to end the season with those four games. I mean, the, the Rangers almost got bounced from the playoffs, right? I know. Uh, we, we, we've talked, Gary and I have talked on this program earlier this year about the things that we learned watching the Rangers <laughs> and the final <laughs> month of the season, particularly the final series of the season, and then how they just turned it on a dime in the postseason. What was your biggest takeaway, like your baseball life lesson being a part of that Rangers team, being a part of a team that almost got bounced from the playoffs after being in the driver's seat from the division almost all year to then winning it all. Yeah, you, man, you got to you gotta finish the job when you have it there. You know, we're one pitch away from, from winning the division or at least tying for the division. And then J.P. Crawford hits a walk-off down the line and you're, you're just like heartbroken. Um, and, you know, it's it's tough, man. It, that's why you play 162 games because little things matter. And uh, I think it's all about when you get hot, right? You just got to make it into the tournament. And then can you get hot and sustain that heat throughout it? And, uh, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot at that point because it's, um, it's any man's game once you make it into the tournament. Mitch, we know growing up you were a great baseball player, obviously. People may not know you were – were a great soccer player as well to the point where a coach suggested you go to Europe and train in a European Academy. How close were we to talking to Mitch Garver Leeds United center back? <laughs> Leeds. Oh man. It honestly wasn't that close. Um, I, I did have quite a nice soccer career. I wouldn't say I was the best player on the field by any means, but I fit the profile for European soccer team. Like I was, I was big, I was tall. Um, I was powerful, you know, I was kind of a force in the, in the back end of the defense. Um, and that's kind of what they look for over there. And I had the potential to, to go over there and do that. But man, when you're 18 years old and somebody tells you to fly across the big lake, I, it's kind of a scary thought to do. <laughs> I think that the safer option was for me to, to stay in Albuquerque, you know, go to my local university, maybe play a little baseball, have some fun with it, get a degree, things took a little bit of a turn from there, um, you know, being able to go to play professional baseball. Um, but soccer, soccer is probably my first true love. Mm. Um, but baseball was more of a profession for me. So what's this about you having 75 pairs of shoes? This is a real thing. Honestly, I think that's kind of a low number for, for me. I, I have a, a little bit of a problem when it comes to shoes. Uh, I love shoes. I love, uh, you know, I like collecting things. I like wearing weird shoes sometimes, but I don't know. It's just something that I've kind of caught on to and it's, it's a little bit of a problem. So it's kind of a soft spot for me. Don't so what, on me. what is the more accurate number? Do you think? It's probably closer to a hundred. Yeah. And when you say weird shoes, like describe a weird pair of shoes that you're going to wear one day rolling into the clubhouse. Yeah. I, I literally just got these this pair of uh, LeBron. I think they're LeBron twos, and they're um, what are they called? Fruity Pebbles. So like the bottoms are like a bunch of different colors. They look it looks like a bowl of Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> I haven't even worn them yet, but but I plan on wearing them soon. Do you have like a shoe room? Like how does this work? It sounds like a lot. It is a lot. No, it's it's something that my wife is kind of. Um, we're trying to figure out here. I keep them in boxes <laughs> and I just keep, I, like I keep them in a separate room and I'm just trying to like organize them the best I can, but you know, we're running out of space here, so we might need to make an adjustment. 
Are you, is this like, do you do a lot of damage on the road? Like, do you find sneaker places on the road? Is there a place at home? Where, where, where are you doing most of your work with this? Uh, online. I just I have a, you know, with the Nike contract, I, I have a little bit of money to spend. So anytime a shoe comes out, I, I usually hop on it. And, and if I like it, you know, I buy it. But um, I, I'm not like going that crazy, you know. I don't know. I try to keep it. I try to keep it low key. <laughs> I Let's talk like... about something else. Let's talk about like how I love coffee or you know video games. <laughs> <or something>. nice. <laughs> I feel like I now that you're a Mariner, I can ask you this: Who is your least favorite current Mariner pitcher to face? Probably Logan Gilbert. Hmm. Yeah. I'm excited not to face him for a few years. Um, he's so he's so tall, and when he releases the ball, and it, you know he, he throws like a very humble 97, 98, but it's right on top of you, like the extension and the spin and and the way it gets on you, it's it's very uncomfortable. Add in a slider, curveball, and a splitter, it's just not not the most fun at bat for you. But I could say that about anybody on that staff. I mean. Facing Munoz is a problem. Facing Matt Brash is a problem. Like, these are guys where you just kind of just want to put the ball in play. You're not really looking to do damage. And that that makes it really hard to score runs when you're just trying to put the ball in play. Hey, if somebody goes to uh, uh, looks you up online or goes to a social media profile as we continue our conversation with Mitch Garver, like, it's pretty clear that you somehow adopted the nickname Garv Sauce. Like, yeah. was there... Was there actually a bottle of sauce that was made in your honor at some point? Is there is there a story here? I mean, like, how, how do you get the it name was, Garb Sauce? It was a nickname that came about in high school. One of my buddies called me the Sauce, and then he put it. He called it Garb Sauce. It went away for a little bit. It came back when I got into pro ball, um, and we actually took it and ran with it a little bit when I was in Minnesota. We I teamed up with a brewery called Omni up in uh, Maple Grove in Minnesota, and uh, I was I was tight with the the head guy there, and we started we made him our own beer. It was called Garb Sauce. Um, it was kind of a IPA, uh, dry lager type, you know, summer beer, really light, flavorful, and it was really fun to kind of collaborate with them. I I said this is what I want the beer to be. They took it and ran with it. Ended up selling a bunch of it. Um, donated some proceeds, um, and then a few years later, got it in the stadium. So they were selling it. Um, on the concourse level, which was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but those guys, we, we did a really good job with it. And I think people really enjoyed the beer. It's a sweet looking can. Uh, how many, how many unopened cans of garb sauce are floating around Denver and inside your residence? Just as a absolutely zero, absolutely <laughs> zero. The beer was too good. I loved it. I mean, I have empty cans. But, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was funny after 2020, season was like the first year the beer came out so we <laughs> we had a forerunner and the forerunner doesn't have a ton of storage but you know we were able to pack a couple hundred garb sauce beers in the back and bring them home and, and distribute them out to all the friends and family um, nice. but by this point they're all gone you know something really exciting happened when you signed with the mariners i'm not sure everyone realizes this but the two highest war position players from the university of New mexico mitch garver and sam haggerty you've been reunited on the same team yeah hags is my boy it's nice. it's funny how it works out man i mean i 
So I think I was a junior and senior when Hags made it into UNM and uh, he turned himself into a really, really good player. And, um, you know, I was super excited to see him get drafted and then he debuted with the Mets and, you know, he just continues to put in the work and, and become a better player and can't say enough about his makeup because, because I love the kid and his parents are great. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for, for probably close to 10 years now. So um excited to, to meet up with him again and, and play some ball. Jerry's always looking up those war leaders for the university of New Mexico and it finally paid <laughs> off. <laughs> hey, there's another, there's another former Mariner on this list, Aaron, that you'll enjoy. Is it really? Yeah. I have no idea. Bobby Lafremboise. Oh, Daddy Raspberry. Yeah. Daddy Raspberry. <laughs> Yeah, I had no that's idea. a New Mexico legend right there. He's a UNM legend. <laughs> yeah. Mitch, it's been just wonderful to learn more about you and uh, hear you speak about baseball and, and coming to Seattle. And we, we're just so appreciative of your time. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for the time. This is a nice conversation to have. That's Mitch Garver, the Mariners' new designated hitter. will make a big impact in that M's lineup beginning this year. We've got plenty more coming your way on the hot stove. When we return, we'll be joined by Justin Toole, the Mariners Director of Player Development. We talk a little bit about what's going on down on the farm straight ahead. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith with Gary Hill. And this we're looking forward to this one. We have not had a chance to talk with Justin Toole. He's the Mariners Director of Player Development. He's going into his second season in that role with the Mariners. Justin, first of all, it's wonderful to spend some time with you. Thanks for hopping on the program with us tonight. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to hanging out with you guys. Now, I would say, um, what do you think, Gary? 75% of new hires to baseball ops with the Mariners has an Andy McKay connection. Did yes. you have an Andy McKay connection when you joined the Mariners? I do. Um, so Andy was actually my summer ball manager uh, when I was a player in college. Um, I believe it was 2008 in the Northwoods League in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So I've known Andy for a while, obviously followed his career and obviously the success that he's had um, in Seattle. So it's, it's, it's great to join back and be on the same team as him again. Okay, so now it's 78% of all <laughs> hires with the Mariners. Work. It is amazing, Justin, because um, we've had guys join the major league coaching staff that have connections, join the front office. Andy, of course, the former farm director, now the assistant general manager. I guess he just had like 80-grade makeup guys <laughs> on his team because the baseball savvy that he had as a coach was off the charts in terms of, of player personnel, and you joined those ranks. I, I That must be the case. I will take that as a compliment. Usually I, I'll take that as like, a, you're not a very good player, but you're a great clubhouse makeup guy, um, which I'll completely take um, and completely own. But uh, Pete Woodworth was actually a teammate of mine. I'm on that team. So I um, got to know, know Woody as well. So definitely, you know, definitely agree with you. That feels like a lot of people have the Andy McKay connection within the organization. So your first year is in the books in a general sense. How do you feel like the first year went for you in the Mariners organization? I love it. I absolutely love it over here. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is there's so many good people, whether it's, you know, the front office, whether it's the coaching staffs, whether it's the players, um, just a lot of really good people. Um, definitely enjoyed my time over here and, and definitely not surprised with, you know, Jerry and Justin and Andy and what they've built here. Um, definitely excited and honored to be a part of that. And 
Um, I always joke with them, you know, I coming over, you've, you've heard in the last few years, how the farm system was and how they develop talent. Um, and definitely, you know, I look at it as I'm, I'm here to not screw it up and continue to, to help it grow and, and keep it moving in the good, in the right direction. So, um, definitely feel like it was a good year. Uh, like I said, I absolutely love it over here. Looking very, very much forward to a year number two. He is Justin tool. He's the Mariners director of player development, joining us here on the hot stove. I, I think your job, and there's 30 of them one for every team, your job might be the one that has the highest impact on an org with people knowing the least amount of what the job actually is. <laughs> like if, if you ratioed those two things out. So with that in mind, tell us what it is you do. Yeah. I, and, and I think each organization probably has it done a little bit different. Um, so I think, you know, there's so many different ways you can do this role, but I think the meat and potatoes of, of what I do is, is helping our players develop um, to get to the major leagues and ultimately impact the team in, in Seattle. And I think with that comes coach development with that comes, you know, staff placement of, you know, what our affiliate staffs are going to look like um, and also helping them develop as well. So I think just overall, you know, there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of coaching, um, a little bit of administrative stuff with managing rosters and things like that. But more than anything, just interacting with our players and staff on a daily basis and making sure that we're putting our players and our staff in the best position to have success um, in hopes that ultimately the players, you know, continue to move through our system and get up to Seattle and help, you know, win a championship up there. And I think, you know, it's it's something that I really enjoy. I come from a family of of teachers and coaches. And so this is something that's always you know, been in my family and kind of upbringing of teaching and learning and always striving to be your best. And um, definitely, you know, that's how I look at this role is trying to make those around me better and try to help, you know, the organization continue to move in a good direction. The staff aspect is so interesting. And it, the last few days, the Mariners have been announcing the staffs at the various levels. And it's critical when you look at carrying a message through the organization, right? What are you looking for when you're looking at hiring a manager at double A or a hitting coach at single A, what kind of things are you looking for in those roles? Yeah. I, I think you're always looking for, for young, eager, you know, eager to learn um, baseball type people. Um, I think that's what we've done a great job with in terms of finding those people, whether, you know, it's been former players or whether it's college coaches, whether it's, you know, professional coaches from other organizations. I think we've done a really good job of finding good people and bringing good people into the organization and letting them do their thing. Um, and I think, you know, you look up and down our organization. I think last year we had so much success with our affiliate groups just because of the type of people that we have, um, you know, within our organization. And it's always fun. We've got guys that have, you know, played in the big leagues in Seattle, um, guys that have played in big leagues, you know, around in other organizations and stuff like that. Anytime you can bring experience like that into the organization, um, it helps. So I, I, I can't say that there's like a perfect archetype of a person that we're looking for, but we're definitely looking for fun, um, you know, exciting growth-minded individuals that want to work and want to get better. I can only imagine that year two in your role, you must feel like you now have your feet underneath you. Year one in your job with the number of minor league players that there are and that you gain, right? you, you gain new ones every year, the coaching staff, the people at the affiliates. I mean, the list just kind of grows on and on and on. What was that first year learning curve for you like? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a long learning curve. Um, and I, I think, again, just the credit to Andy and, and Justin and Jerry and what the organization has built um, made it easy and made me feel comfortable stepping into the role. But, you know, I look at our field coordinator, Lou Boyd, um, who's been here. Um, he was a huge help last year. Matt Snyder, 
coordinator of player development, those two helped me a ton. And I always felt like, you know, being new to the role and kind of learning how things work. If there was something that maybe I didn't think of, or maybe I should have been thinking of, they were already on top of it. And, and you pair that up with our coordinator group um, from the hitting side, CJ Gilman and Tiger Peterson. And, you know, from the pitching side, Matt Pierpont, and then last year, Max Wiener, and now this year, uh, Quinn Cleary, um, you know, that group, having those, those guys around us, um, you know, helps and makes my job easier. So definitely, you know, learning a lot of uh, names and, you know, looking up numbers and, and some stats and, you know, getting an idea of what a player looks like, but then meeting them and, and figuring out who they are as a person was, was something that I really enjoyed and had a lot of fun with, but definitely couldn't have done it without our entire PD group. Um, and again, Andy was a huge, huge help in that. And specifically with what he's built before I got here. For fans that don't know, you spent parts of seven seasons in the minors at various levels. How much does that experience that you had, I mean, you've been in the player's shoes, right? You were there. How much does that help in what you're doing now? I think it's huge. Um, you know, I, I had the, I, I think it's an honor um, to play at a lot of different levels and up and down and bounce back and forth from, from different, different affiliates. Um, but I think it's huge just understanding, you know, what it looks like to be an A ball, what it looks like to be an extended spring training, what it looks like to be triple A and close to the big leagues. Um, and, and, with that, understand and kind of look around the clubhouse and see what the environment's like, see what people are working on. Um, I've always tried to pull from those types of experiences, both as a player and then as a coach through the minor leagues. Um, again, it's not always perfect. Um, and, you know, you're not going to always create a, an environment for somebody else that was, you know, just like what you had. But I do think there were a lot of experiences and things that I got to see or things that I was able to observe that have helped me um, to hopefully pass along messages to our staffs and to our players to, you know, help them develop and continue to move through the system as well. We're joined by Justin Toole. He's the Mariners Director of Player Development. When people hear you talk about your role, it could be easy for them to think, oh, this is this is a minor league guy, right? He's dealing with the minors, and I, I'm interested in the, the big leaguers. But the messaging that you have to have in concert with Scott Service, with Pete Woodworth, with Brant Brown, Jarrett DeHart, it has to be so tongue and groove. How do you go about having one consistent message from a pitching standpoint, from a hitting standpoint, from a fielding standpoint, from Dominican Summer League all the way up to T-Mobile Park? Yeah, and I think it starts at the top. You know, you've, you've heard Jerry talk about DTZ and dominating the zone, um, and that's something that we try to, you know, talk throughout our minor leagues, and, and we'll hammer that message home as much as possible. And I think ultimately it's, it's so helpful when the major league staff and everybody's on the same page. Um, and I think our goal is, you know, we like to operate with no surprises. So when a player does, you know, get the opportunity to play in the big leagues. We want our major league staff to know, you know, exactly what they're going to get out of them, but also for them to under know, understand and know what it is uh, to be a Mariner. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we try to, to preach. And with our affiliates spread all over the place, um, it's a lot of conversation with our staff. It's a lot of staff development. It's a lot of, you know, player plan meetings and stuff like that, where, you know, everybody in the organization has an opportunity to know what each guy's working on and, you know, what their path to the big leagues looks like. Um, so ultimately, when that opportunity comes and that phone call comes that they're going up, you know, they the players are in a good spot. They're comfortable and confident, but also the staff's comfortable and confident when they get there that they know, you know, what they're going to get out of them on a on a daily basis. I find from the outside, evaluating a minor league player is so challenging just because of all the factors. I mean, maybe it's a player in the PCL and it's a pitcher and, you know, you run into all those terrible pitching parks, right? Or maybe it's a double a where 
there's a bunch of rule changes this year that they're experimenting with. And maybe it's for the first half, but not for the second half, right? There's all these different things going on in the minor leagues as you're trying to evaluate performance. How do you go about that and sift through all the different things that are happening? Yeah, I, I try to surround myself with really smart people uh, to help me with that process. Um, and I think that we do have a great group that can sift through some of that stuff. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, context matters. Um, there's a lot of different factors that play into a player's development, whether it's age, whether it's skill level, whether it's experience, um, all those things matter. And we have a great group of both analysts and coaches that are able to kind of sift through some of that stuff, but also understanding like, you know, players that have had success in the big leagues, like what did that look like in a ball? What did that look like in double a, um, and kind of understanding that track record and that progression of, you know, this is what we would anticipate somebody to look like when they get to triple a or the big leagues. Um, but again, to your point, it's it's tough, right? It's it's not an exact science. It's not always linear. Um, you're always going to have players that develop faster than you expect. You're always going to have players that develop a little bit slower than you expect. And I think the biggest thing that we try to do from an organizational standpoint is, you know, try to focus on each day and take care of, you know, stacking bricks and getting better each day. And we tell our guys all the time that, you know, at the end of the day, if you put your head down and work each day, um, you know, you're going to look up someday and you're you're gonna you're gonna be playing in T-Mobile. Um, because you took care of what you needed to do each and every day. And, and I think too, that's, that's fair for the kids. You know, I think when you're looking at the players that come through the system, like it's, it's unfair to say, Hey, this is your ETA. This is when you're going to be there. Um, in, in a perfect world, that'd be awesome. Um, it's, we don't live in a perfect world. So I think, you know, just trying to take care of getting better each day. And we've got a great group that's, that's been, you know, owning that process. Um, and we're going to continue to try to do that and hopefully get as many guys as we can up to Seattle. Um, as soon as we can, but knowing that you, you don't always know how soon that'll be. It's great to be joined by Justin Toole, the Mariners Director of Player Development. We'll continue our conversation with Justin after this timeout. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hackback Bar and Grill. Glad to have you with us tonight on the Hot Stove, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, as we continue our chat with Justin Toole, the Mariners Director of Player Development. People don't realize when Scott Service announces at 645 that he's got somebody who just landed on the injured list. And now there's that guy who's been hiding in the back of the clubhouse in the food room. And they say, hey, you're activated. You're on the roster and you're in there tonight. The chain reaction that that causes throughout the Mariners family to Tacoma, to Arkansas, so forth and so on. Was there a, a moment that stands out to you the most from this past season where you get like the amazing race type situation going where you're having to book travel, you're having to fly one guy from here, some guys in an Uber going for five miles, roster moves all over the place, affiliates being contacted, like take us into the eye of the hurricane. Was there a moment like that this past year? There, there were probably a couple. Um, I know, I know the uh, a Mariners social media team has put on um, social media a few different call ups that were kind of recorded throughout the course of the year. So, for any fans that would like to check that out, um, definitely very entertaining and awesome. There was one specific um, with with Brian Wu. Um, you'll have to ask him about that. Um, but it involved letting uh, Mike Freeman, who was the manager in Arkansas, know. Um, and he couldn't get a hold of him and couldn't figure out where he was. Um, and so we're actually on a call with other managers talking about different things. And Mike's not there. And everyone's like, oh, where's Free at? And I knew where Free was at, but we couldn't let everybody else know where Free is at. And so 
he finally calls me and I think it was like in the parking lot of a golf course because uh, they were hitting some golf balls and he had his phone in his golf bag or something like that and wasn't able to get to it. But um, those types of stories are fun because you hear kind of the chase of like trying to get a hold of him and, you know, talking to Andy and be like, hey, we can't get a hold of him. We're trying. We'll get back to you when we can. Like, so you get a little stressed. In, in that moment, but you know that when that message gets delivered, it's going to be straight joy from everybody around there. So uh, that's probably one of the most fun um, in terms of kind of the race of trying to get the message across last year. Um, but they're all fun. Anytime you can you can call and let somebody know that that they're going up, it's it's a great a great feeling and a great moment. And I think too, when that message comes and when it gets formally announced, um, just you, you know how happy everybody in the organization is. And I think those are some of the games that are most fun when you're at an affiliate in a clubhouse and somebody's making their debut. Like the TVs are on, everybody's watching, everybody's paying attention, everybody's celebrating along with them. And I I think that's what makes our organization and our people special. Is uh, you know we truly are pulling for each other. Um, and I think. You know, sometimes the players are competing for spots and, and and that's part of the game. But at the end of the day, when somebody gets that call, it's it's a lot of fun as an organization to be able to follow along. This is a fun time of year. It's a time of year where you start to see, see the prospect list published, right? Whether it's Pipeline or Baseball America. And, you know, there's a lot to be excited about when you kind of look at, at the Mariners top prospects who are just a couple of guys that have really stood out as you've watched different journeys through the course of this past year. Yeah, I, th I think that was one of the the most enjoyable um, new experiences for me was being able to hear about these players and then, you know, be able to interact with them and get to work with them and watch them play. Um, everybody has heard of, you know, the Cole Youngs, Harry Fords, um, you know, they've been guys who have been at the top of our prospect list for a few years now and, you know, phenomenal people along with phenomenal players. Um, each guy does things a little bit different. Um, Cole being an infielder, you know, controls the zone, um, you know, makes that routine play. He's like the steady Eddie guy where heartbeat doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, same guy every day. Nothing really seems to phase him. And then, then you got Harry who, uh, Sir Harry, when it came to the World Baseball Classic last year, um, unbelievable athlete behind the plate, um, you know, controls the strike zone better than probably anybody in minor league baseball. Um, he'll take his walk, um, put the ball in play, hit it hard when he needs to. Um, so, you know, those are two guys that everybody probably hears a lot about just from, you know, being at the top of our, our prospect list, um, you know, and then I think you pair guys like that with, you know, our, our draft class from last year, obviously the draft being in Seattle, being able to get those three first round picks and, you know, Colt Emerson's a guy that a lot of people have talked about um, Johnny Farmello, Ty Pete were the other ones that came, you know, within that draft and, you know, pairing those types of players together is a lot of fun. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, Lazaro Montez. Um, Laz was unbelievable last year. Um, and he's a huge person, like a gigantic human being. And his personality is even bigger and it's awesome. It's so much fun to be around him, but you put all those type of guys together and each one of them's a down to earth, wants to work, wants to get better. Um, you know, they compete against each other. Um, and you know, that's a lot of fun. And I think, you know, we look at, at our major league team and the group that we have, like, the pitchers, you know, in the past few years have been a lot of the guys that we've, we, you've heard about and you've talked about with, with Brian and Bryce and those guys getting up to the big leagues. Um, so now, you know, you've got a young wave of position players coming through and have some good arms in there too. And definitely excited to see how it all works. But uh, a lot of, a lot of young, promising, fun prospects that, that the fans should be excited about. It's great to be talking with Justin Toole. He's the Mariners director of player development. How do you go about teaching winning in the minors when it is such a, individual effort to want to be promoted to the next level and eventually to the major leagues? That's a great question. Um, so a lot of what we talk about, and, and I think we had a, 
phenomenal year from a, a, a winning standpoint last year in the minor leagues um, with our affiliates. Three of the four made it to the their league championship. Uh, Tacoma was the one that didn't, and they were, you know, within a game or two going into the last game of the season. Um, and I think it starts with the process. So like, we don't really talk a whole lot about winning. We talk about dominating the zone. We talk about playing the game the right way. Uh, we talk about running the bases hard, putting pressure on the other team. Um, and a lot of those processes we found lead to winning baseball. Um, and so a lot of what we try to talk about is putting our players in good positions to succeed. And then we top that off with competing. Um, and I think we've got a great group in the minor leagues that competes. Obviously, you've seen some of the players that have come up to the big leagues the past couple of years. Um, you know, Caballero is probably one that stands out as a guy that when you watch him play, like he competes. Cade Marlowe, you watch him, he competes. You see Bryce and Brian on the mound. Um, you see Ty Adcock, like those guys compete. Um, and that's something that we try to talk a lot about in the minor leagues. So I think it's trusting that process of playing the game the right way, playing the game hard, um, not giving away outs, and then just continuing to compete. And that's kind of been a, a formula that when you dominate the zone, you tend to, you know, put yourself in successful situations. And I think that's going to be what we continue to try to push as we move forward. But it's definitely a, a balance and a fine line of helping our players develop. Um, but I truly believe that part of development is is learning how to win as well. Hey, Justin, it's not often on the program, despite how highly regarded this program is, Gary. Oh, yes, very highly regarded, yeah. It's not often that we get to talk with a published author. Yes. That's dangerous. In fact, I don't know the last time we talked to a published author. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to go We have to go through the archives a little bit there. Uh, you wrote a book, Nine and Nine, which has a very interesting uh, plot to it. Uh, it's about you. Tell us about uh, your your one night in uh, the summer of what, 2012? 2012. Yeah. So going back to your comment earlier, like big clubhouse guy, like basically meaning not a great player. Um, so my way of trying to be valuable as a player was I had to learn how to play a lot of different positions. Um, I played with a lot of really good players. A lot of them played in the major league. Some of them are still playing. Um, and so the playing time for me was very slim. I was the guy who would give the star a backup uh, you know, a day off. And so maybe one day I'd play second, one day I'd play third, maybe I'd be off for a couple of days and I'd maybe play first, maybe play the outfield. And so it, it so happened that we had a new manager to the organization and uh, had him and we kind of had like a preseason meeting before the season started just to kind of get to know each other. And he kind of was like, Hey, I hear you can play everywhere. I was like, yeah, anywhere you need me. He's like, okay, like, we'll see about that. And started, you know, a month into the season, started playing a lot of different positions. And he called me in the office one day. He's like, Hey, at the end of the season, you're going to play all nine positions. I pitched in college. So I didn't think that that would be anything too crazy, but never caught maybe once, like when I was 12, but they were like, Hey, we're going to play every position. And, and I was like, didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, that sounds cool. And then as the season went finally towards the end of the year, he just kind of picked a date a couple of weeks ahead of time. He's like, throw two bullpens, catch two bullpens and we'll roll, see what happens. And I'm like, this is going to be phenomenal. I'm like, I hope the organization isn't angry at you for letting me do this. This is phenomenal. So played, played the game, played all the different positions and was a really cool opportunity for me to kind of showcase as, you know, a player that wasn't a prospect that wasn't, a, you know, a person that people paid a lot of attention to that that was how I was valuable to the team, to the organization. Um, so it was kind of a cool night for me to be able to show that. We won the game. I gave up two home runs as a pitcher, um, got a base hit, didn't screw it up in the field. And I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again because it was perfect. So I think you could do that and lose the game. And like, it's, you know, why are you doing that type of a thing? But did it successfully. It worked out. Didn't want any part of it after that, but it was definitely a cool really cool experience. And then kind of got challenged into like, Hey, you should write a book about that. And being a competitive person, it was like, well, you challenged me to do it. I got to do it type of a thing. So it's more of trying to 
use that experience to kind of, you know, show people that there's a lot of different ways to have success in life and, and finding different ways to, you know, achieve dreams and chase dreams. And, you know, there's people out there that get told that they can't do anything or can't do certain things, you know, those types of messages. So tried to pair those two things together and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun doing it. So how many gloves were yours and how many gloves did you have to borrow? Uh, that is a great question. I, I only had one. I think I had to borrow three. So I used a, I used two in the outfield because the way it worked is like everybody was like shifting around. So like I used somebody's glove in the outfield that played infield, but then the next inning they were back in the outfield. So I had to give them their glove back. We had to change. It was, and I had, did not have any catching stuff. So we had to obviously share that one. So um, yeah, there's quite a few different ones that went into it, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think the the staff and, and the team had a lot of fun doing it as well. Did you have a, healthy enough lead when you coughed up the two homers i would say probably not to be honest it was four nothing um <laughs> went in four nothing fell behind i was just throwing fastballs at like 80 miles an hour and fell behind not a good recipe um not dominating the zone um and home run off the scoreboard was the first guy the second one was off the foul pole um oh. and, uh mound visit we had a mound visit um <laughs> settled down um, ended up with a pop-up and two strikeouts. And the best part of the pop-up, I didn't know this at the time. So they put the pitcher in right field from the inning before, just in case I ran into problems and then they didn't have to take me out. They could put him back in to obviously preserve the lead. And and the starter went seven and like threw up a zero. So it's like, don't want to screw it up for him. The pop-up to right field. And I'm like, Yes. And I look out there and he's like rolling around, like spinning around. And I'm like, no way to hit it. To, and he caught it. So it was perfect. Um, so everybody's laughing. I look over at the bullpen. They're like on the ground, rolling around, laughing. I mean, it was just like a whole team environment, but ended up being four to two. And they brought the mound visit out. And it was basically like, hey, if another guy gets on, you're out of here. So then I know oh. I had to. I really had to buckle down. And I think the umpire gave me like four or five inches off of that outside corner. <laughs> it was phenomenal. So um, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was something that was probably the highlight of my career. And definitely anytime I see anybody have the opportunity to do that, it makes me smile just cause I know how much fun I had doing it. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Cause I was wondering what in the world would it be said in a mound visit in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Scott, Scott Erickson was, was the, the pitching coach at the time who pitched in the major leagues for a long time. So yeah. I made him promise that he had to make a mound visit regardless of what happened, um, just so that he could come out there. So, Part of it was kind of scripted, but I really needed it at the time. So, um, but he told me when I, when I was a pitcher, I didn't throw hard. I threw a lot of really good off-speed stuff. And so it made sense. I should probably throw off-speed stuff. Um, so I definitely was trying to get people out, not like trying to just lob it up there and get through it. So uh, once we kind of shifted gears from that, it was definitely a lot more uh, successful for my end. And catching, catching was fine. Uh, well, yeah. I guess uh, I got through it. So I was, I was, I was fine. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a breeze. I get to third base and the manager from the other team was like, Hey, so you're catching next inning. And I was like, yeah. He's like, they're so fired up to run on you. And I'm like, I didn't think about that. So I'm like, if there's anybody that gets on base, like, I don't know if I can block the ball and keep it in front. Like, I don't know if I can throw somebody out or like, I don't know what that's going to look like. Luckily they went one, two, three and nobody got on base. So I, I, I like to think that maybe my mind as a pitcher was like, trying to put down the right fingers, but uh, we ended up getting out of it and didn't have to worry about it. But if, if somebody had gotten on base, it'd have been a little bit of an adventure. So were you shook a lot or were, were you just firing them down and you were locked in? It was just fingers down, shake, fire it away. It was awesome. <laughs> I also got to pick who was throwing. So that definitely helped me because they're, 
their guy had pretty good command, really good pitches, uh, a few different, like good breaking pitches. Um, wasn't like a guy hitting triple digits or like anything crazy like that. So that definitely, definitely helped me out. Justin, this has been such a treat. It's wonderful to kind of get a glimpse into your world and get to know you a little bit better as well. And we've got some reading material for uh, those long flights across country now as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Absolutely. Reading material, or if it's cold, it's great for firewood. You just throw it right in. <laughs> so but no, I appreciate you guys having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. That was Justin Toole, the Mariners Director of Player Development, kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Show. When we return, we'll talk about one of those guys he had a chance to work with last year, one of the Mariners' first-round draft picks from last season, infielder Colt Emerson, one of the Mariners' top prospects, joins us when we come back on the Hot Stove Show. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. He's really, really on a bit of a rocket. He made his pro debut last year, quickly got up to Loe Modesto, really was the leader of that incredible second half run Modesto had en route to winning the California League Championship in dominant fashion. And he just, everything was great. You looked at just how he looked, the swing, how he moved, how he took pitches, just it, it just looks that beautiful, fast, mm. left-handed swing with some impact. You talk to evaluators who looked at kind of under-the-hood data, some of the more analytical types. They loved everything they saw. When we were putting together our top 100 prospects list, one of the processes at Baseball America is all the staffers put together their personal rankings. We kind of combine them. Then we send that list out for feedback across the game to GMs, pro scouting directors, player personnel directors. And Colt Emerson was the one of the num most mentioned guys at Mubob. I mean, mm -hmm. he's someone that people from other teams are like, yo, this is a really, really talented player. We think he's going to really take off. And we think so too. It was a small sample size. It was less than 30 games at low A last year. So you, you don't want to go too crazy. But what he showed early was super promising. It would not shock me if this time next year, we're talking about Cole Emerson as a, a top 25 prospect in the game. That was the voice of Kyle Glazer, who covered the Mariners for Baseball America. Some absolutely glowing things to say about our next guest. He's former first-round draft pick and one of the Mariners' top prospects, infielder Colt Emerson. Colt, it's great to be with you tonight. Thanks for joining us here on the Hot Stove Show. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Hey, man, your life has changed a lot in uh, the last less than a year. Uh, walk us through as best you can just kind of the, the whirlwind that was the draft to pro ball, you win a Cal League championship with the nuts, and now you're getting ready for your first full season. Yeah, it was it, it was probably the most surreal thing I've ever been through. Like starting off in the draft, like the whole process leading up to the draft is a crazy story in itself. And then finally getting drafted and uh going through all that, going through all the media, going to Seattle, meeting everybody, just an amazing experience. And then when it all settled, going into rookie ball was just amazing. You finally get up back on the field. That's what really matters, and that's what I really enjoy. That's why I play baseball. Going to Seattle, meeting everybody. I, I try to soak in as much as I could. You know, I met a lot of great people. I met a lot of players on the team. I talked to Julio. I talked to Ty France. talked to Cal Raleigh, Logan Gilbert. They're all great guys. You know, they're all um, good to talk to and uh, had a great time there. And then went straight from Seattle, straight to Arizona for rookie ball start. And then we started practicing and then eventually we started playing. And then that's when the fun started. 
finished the season in uh, rookie ball and then got called up to Modesto. Super cool team. The Modesto uh, team was that honestly, that's the best team I've ever played on in my life. Everybody was just amazing at that time. Like, like everybody was just hot. Everybody was hitting. Everybody was fielding. Like, there was no mistakes made. Like, how many losses were you a part of in Modesto? <laughs> it it might have been. I I played like twenty eight games, and I think we might have lost four games. <laughs> like it, it it wasn't it wasn't anything at all. It was it was crazy. That's the standard like, gold. That's that's what everyone yeah. expects. <laughs> Nah, it, it was a good time. Uh, we were looking at the standings and stuff, and I, I forget how many games back we were. We might have been like eight games back or something with like, with like eighteen games to go, and we weren't sure if we were gonna make it or not. And then we just started winning, and then winning, and then winning. We ended up winning, winning the championship, and amazing. And then you get on a plane the next day, and you're back home. And then after that, six week. HPC lifting camp, and then after that, off season. So, and then we're here now, getting ready to go back to spring training. So it's it's gone super quick, but I've uh, I've enjoyed every second of it. I can imagine what I'd be doing with that if I wasn't in baseball right now. I I loved every second of it. I just love baseball so much. Like this is it's so fun to do this. Well, as we're joined by Cole Emerson, Mariners' recent first round draft pick, going into his first full season of pro ball. I want to go back to when you came to Seattle and signed your contract and got to meet a lot of the guys. We always know when the when the draft picks come in and they take some batting practice on the field, and it's always really fun for us to watch the draft picks take a round of BP because it's fun to think about what's going through their mind right now. What was that like for you, swinging it on the field at T-Mobile Park with Julio watching, Scott Services watching? I mean, that's the most one of the most pressure packed BP rounds you'll ever have in your life. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. I don't think my rounds were very good, but uh, I mean, I, I had a great time doing it, you know, with all those people there watching just, just uh, having one day where it felt like you were actually in the lineup and you were getting ready for the game. Like that, that was, that was super surreal. I had a great time and being able, I'm very thankful that, the uh, Mariners let us do that like that that was a very very fun time and I really enjoyed it it was your first visit to Seattle what was your favorite thing you did outside of the ballpark man that's a tough one we did a lot of fun things but uh I, I'd say I'd say either exploring the fish market or like going up in the space needle I know that's probably a generic thing to say but uh I'm not a big fan of heights but going up there and being in a uh really famous uh, tower like that, like the Space Needle. I mean, get, and seeing the overlook of the city was just awesome. Did you catch a fish? I did, yeah. I, I, I bobbled it and then ended up catching it. I'm glad I they, – they said no uh, no first-round pick has dropped a fish yet. <laughs> but, but I'm, glad, I'm glad I wasn't – I'm glad I wasn't the first one. So there was a lot they, – there was probably more pressure on catching that fish than there was hitting BP on the field. <laughs> I felt more pressure catching that fish. That's fantastic. We're joined by Mariners minor league prospect Colt Emerson. Colt, the, the journey through pro ball is one of a kind. What are your earliest memories of when you showed up 
whether it be in Arizona or Modesto, because now, I mean, this is your living. This is like no form of baseball you've ever had in your life. What was that instant transition like? I, I learned I learned a lot of things before I even started playing with the Mariners, right? They they really they really uh, preach that uh, being grateful for where you're at helps you stay consistent on the field. It helps you with a great mindset. So the transition for me was super smooth because I was grateful and I knew that there was a plan out there for me. So I wasn't I didn't feel any pressure to be somebody I wasn't. I knew that if I showed up and I was myself, and I was grateful for where I'm at, and didn't take anything for granted, then things would go smoothly for me, and that's what I did, and things went smoothly, so I, I'm thankful that uh, that's what happened, and uh, yeah, the, uh, the transition was, was just easy, just because I was grateful, really, that's it. Did you homer on the first pitch you saw in Pro Bowl? I did, yeah. I, I've, ne- I've never, honestly, I've never hit a home run on a, like, a real major league-sized field ever. And then I go and hit one oppo over the 385 sign. Like it was nothing. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was a great start though. You know, so I wait, to, to be clear, not your first swing, not your first hit, but the first pitch that you saw in pro ball. First pitch I swung. Yeah. So great. Because I, I was, I was talking to some of the other draft guys and I was like, Hey, like you guys think I could swing on my first pitch. And they're like, dude, they have no scouting reports on you they're going to throw you a fastball. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I hit it. And I was like, okay, I struck it good. And then it just kept flying and flying and flying. You know, you know, the funniest thing about that was, uh, so I hit the home run, I round the bases and I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. But then I was like, I'm not going to get that ball back. And they're like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. And one of the, uh, one of the, the, uh, there's always these card guys that stand outside the thing and help, uh, the ask you to sign and stuff. And one of those card guys, they went and got it and put it in their pocket. And we all saw him do it. Oh, God, the dude just stole your ball. And I was like, dude, I need to get that back. So uh, Aiden Smith, our other high school pick, uh, he went up there and was like, dude, listen, there's no option. You're, we got to get that ball back. That was his first ever hit. He finally gave in. And I wouldn't have had it if he, if he wouldn't have gave it back. So thanks to that guy for giving it back. But thanks, Aiden Smith, for going up and pressuring the guy to, to give me the ball back that's a teammate right there that's a great that is, teammate. that's a teammate right there yeah now colt we we got a little inside intel as to where you were when you got the call that you were drafted by the mariners <laughs> can you yeah. can you give us a little relive the moment as to where you were what was going down yeah you know uh i was sitting in the back room of buffalo wild wings watching it on the tv <laughs> and uh i mean listen if you would talk to anybody from my hometown you'd be like what's colt's second home what's colt and his family's second home they'd be like oh it's b-dubs <laughs> buffalo wild wings because we we live we live uh about three minutes from it so like after like a friday night football game there's not much in our hometown so we would go to b-dubs after a basketball game, hey, let's go to B-Dubs. Because they have Tuesday night and Thursday night. It's buy one, get one free on wings. So you can get six wings and get 12 of them for the price of six. So it's easy. So then I was talking to my parents. I was like, where should we have it? And we were like, we could do it at home. But our house, we don't have that much space in our house for the, those people, all those people. Somebody said, hey, why don't we do it at B-Dubs? Because it's, it's, it's the local place. 
And thanks, <laughs> thankfully, they they let us have the back room, and it it was awesome. It, it was such a good time because like in our back room, it was me and all like my family and stuff. And then out in the regular area, there was like a bunch of people watching the draft too. So it was like it was like a giant party there. It was super cool. Yeah, it, it might be unorthodox to have it at Buffalo Wild Wings, but I promise you, we we had the most fun. That's for sure. I I the whole this is better than I could have even hoped it would be. I have so many. I have so many. I should have asked this. This should have been what we led with, to be quite honest. As we continue our conversation with Cole Emerson, I I need to know: are are you boneless or bone and wing guy? You know, it, it depends. It depends. Some days I'm feeling boneless. Some days I'm feeling bone in. But if I get the bone in, I make sure they got to be extremely crispy, oh. extremely crispy. And if they're not, then they're just terrible. So. And what uh, what what flavors? What sauces are we going? So uh, B Dubs. If I if I do boneless, I get jam and jalapeno. But if it's bone in, I get like a medium like buffalo sauce. There, I, I'm fascinated by the the tactic of different flavors depending on the the type of protein we're working with here, bone in or yeah, boneless. Yeah, yeah. The the jam and jalapeno just goes with the boneless, no bone, just goes with it so well. But if you get it in the bone, it doesn't. It just doesn't taste as well. You know. Are we uh are we going blue cheese ranch or nothing? Nothing. I you know it's it's funny. I always order ranch with my wings, but never eat it. <laughs> every, they're, they're, they're like they're like you want ranch with it and i say yes every time but i know <laughs> do you think you could know. do you think you could say no if you wanted to or i don't i don't know it, it just, i don't think it would feel right if i said no the the experience of edubs would not be the same if i said no now speaking of growing up do you live on a farm i do we we don't well it's a farm Speaking of land, like we live on 117 acres, but we don't have it. We don't have cows. We don't have, oh. we used to have eggs and chickens and stuff, but you kind of don't have time when you're gone all summer to tend to them. But we had, when we were younger and we were playing locally, like, yeah, we had animals and stuff, but not really anymore. But yeah, we live on 117 acres. So we, we got the freedom to do whatever we want. And I love it. You're kind of close to Cleveland, close to Pittsburgh. Were you more of a, Cleveland baseball guy, were you more of a Pirates guy? No, more of a Pirates guy. I mean, uh, Cleveland's about two and a half hours, and Pittsburgh's an easy hour, 45-minute drive. So we would go we would go to PNC a lot and go see uh, the Pirates. But unfortunately, the Pirates were never that great, so we would hardly see them win. Who was who your guy? Who was your favorite player growing up? Man, I mean, Derek Jeter. I loved him. I, I loved him, which which is probably wrong because I said I was a. Uh, we would go to Pirates games, which we would go to Pirates games. But I was I wasn't really a fan of Pittsburgh. It was just PNC was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I was more of a uh, Derek Jeter fan, which led me on to the Yankees more. But then when he was gone, I I didn't really watch the Yankees much when he left. Which I was young when he left. But I I got to go up to. Uh, I went and saw him play in his last season, one of his last games uh, in New York, which was awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. So I, I had a good time doing that. But that that was my guy growing up. But we'd go watch games at PNC just because that was what we were closest to. For 
people that have never seen you play, how would you describe yourself as a player? I describe myself as like born good. I, I make the routine play. I get those singles, but am I going to go out there and wow you with how far I hit the baseball? No. Am I going to wow you with, at least right now, am I going to wow you with how far I hit the baseball, how fast I am? Am I going to, am I going to hit a home run and bat flip and yell and scream? No. But am I consistent with what I do? Am I a leader on a team? Yes. And Am I going to help my team win? Yes. And that's really all I go for. I don't go for the emotional guy that that is just super up and down and that that's not me. I'm the guy who's the same every single day in the ballpark that talks to everybody, that makes friends with everybody, and that I'm uh, just go out there and help the team win, you know, just the leader on the team. That's all I am. And some people might find that boring and not exciting, but – that's not it. If you're winning, you got to be doing something right. Well, we've heard from some inside the Mariners that really feel like one of your great calling cards is your work ethic. They've really been wowed by that in your early days in the organization. Where does that come from for you? Yeah, I mean, that that comes from my parents, really. Like, 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 I, we're not my family's not rich by any means. Like, my dad has to go out there. He he travels for work and he has to be gone half the week to support my baseball over the summer. My mom had to work two jobs growing up because they cared so much about their kids' success that they would do that. And me seeing that, now I got to hold up. If they're going to sacrifice that for me, then I got to hold up my end of the deal and work my butt off to succeed because of all they sacrificed so which is pretty easy because I, I love the game and I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else you know so people see it as man he's really working he's doing this he's doing this but I enjoy what I do and this isn't work for me this is this is free time that I get to do this and get better and better myself and better my mindset to eventually help my team and win because the Cal League championship's not my goal. The goal is the World Series. So when I can get to that and succeed in that, that's when I'll see everything pay off. But uh, until then, I still got a lot of growing to go, and there's I'm not satisfied with anything I've done yet, and I'm just going to keep being myself and uh, keep doing what I do because I know that's good enough and be grateful for where I'm at. And keep eating those wings. That's right. That's right. That's right. Most importantly. Cole, this has been wonderful. We, we're so appreciative. Thank you for hopping on with us. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a pleasure uh, you guys having me on. I enjoyed this. Thank you. That was Cole Emerson, one of the Mariners' top prospects. When we come back here on the hot stove, we'll be joined by Greg Green, the Mariners' VP of Marketing. We'll talk opening day and Julio giveaways. That's straight ahead after this quick break. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. We're visited by Greg Green, one of our absolute favorites. Uh, really important question to start out, Greg. You're one of the few. You appear on Hot Stove, you appear on Cactus League Report, and you appear on Trident Talk during the course of our 
our year. Which is your favorite show to appear on? I, I know uh, it's tough to choose. I, I I don't know the answer. I actually have another follow up question. Is there some kind of pin or jacket that comes with appearing on all three shows? Because that's really the reason I do. I I was hoping there was some kind of memorabilia tied to those appearances. Yeah, there's a plaque. It's uh, it's in the <laughs> it's works. It's in the mail. Yeah, it's in the works. They, you can hang it up in your office. It'll be great. It'll be very people proud. love it. Yeah, it's a short list. I can't think of many other people <laughs> who've appeared on all three. So congratulate yourself on that. Yeah, I'm on a lot of short lists. That's pun is intended for my stature. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, it's great to talk to you tonight. There's a lot happening coming up. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of skip over the spring and, and talk about opening day, which is going to be here quicker than, than we realize. So 58 days, Gary. 58, 58 days. 58 days you, you away. You know the number. Yes. Okay, I know great. 58 days to, to opening day. Well, it's, and- it's a pretty cool... Red Sox right out of the gates. Red March Sox. 28th. You get all the tradition. You know, I'm thinking about like Hanniger coming down the carpet on opening day and the ovation that he's gonna get. Oh, um yeah. it's it's gonna be really cool. I, I still I mean I've seen it twenty-five times when the, the, the make a wish kid rounds the bases to kind of christen the field for the season. I still cry every time. It's it's such a magical moment. Uh getting to play you know, Dave's video in the ballpark and to hear his voice again, um, you know, gets the hairs on my arms standing up. It's just, it's such a special day. Um, last year, it it sold out actually in February. Uh, it's the earliest I can remember it selling out. Um, so I just hope people can be there. It's, you know, bring your family. It's in the evening. So kids don't have to get out of school, but maybe make it a holiday and, and spend the day down at the ballpark. Um, it should be really uh, an unforgettable day and for your planning purposes opening day is a thursday 7 10 first pitch and then the next two 640 starts again on friday and saturday four gamer with the red sox wrapping up on sunday so pretty fun start Sunday to the season yeah. really fun start to the season and then um you know we're doing something a little different and that first monday tuesday and wednesday we come back uh a lot of times with our, our giveaways it's one day only get there the first twenty thousand fans give it uh, we're trying something a little different this year and we're going to do more bobbleheads on more days. So the first bobblehead day is Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's a Julio no fly zone. He's flashing the no fly zone in this bobblehead. It's super cool. Um, and the first 10,000 fans get it on each of those days. So it gives you a lot more flexibility on which day you come out to the ballpark. You don't have to, you know, pick, pick one day. You can pick one of the three or maybe get a couple of them, go a couple days. I got to say Julio's, no fly is the greatest. It's cool. And it's so cool I love that it. if you sit if you sit in the J-Rod squad and he will flash that to you at least like 20 times a game, which is just like he's one of the greatest players on the planet. And for making a catch and interacting with the fans, it's just such a cool, cool experience. Throwing the baseballs up in there and he loves it. Fans love it. It's a really neat. If you haven't done it yet, you should go sit out in the J-Rod squad. Oh, the interaction is the greatest. It's it's like you were there with him. You're, yep. I mean, you're part of the, he includes that whole section on everything that's going on. It's funny too. We were talking to Dom Canzone who came over uh, last year and we were talking about the, the no fly and he's like, yeah, I don't, 
I don't want to do it on my own. I need a little, I need Julio to do it first if I make a good catch and then I'm all in. But now, <laughs> you know, the guys are in, uh, the other outfielders and the fans, like the whole thing is fantastic. I it's love super, it. It's super cool. Um, so as I said, the, the bobblehead things a little bit, and we're going to do it again um, when the Reds come to town the, uh, in a couple weeks later in mid-April, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You know, it's, you know, 2024. It's the year of 24. The Reds are coming into town. We have to do something, Junior. I mean, uh, he he's an icon in the game, and we're going to do a bobblehead him scaling the wall on April 15th, 16th, and 17th. Same deal, 10000 mm -hmm. each game. Um, it should be a, a really fun collectible for the fans. I really like that series against Cincinnati. One, Cincinnati's a super interesting team. Like, it's yes. going to be a fun series. Also, Monday of that series is Jackie Robinson Day, which exactly. I think is one of the greatest days on the calendar. So, and speaking junior, of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, yeah, and Junior was the one that, that first wore 42 um, yeah. and started that tradition. He's, he, is, he is the greatest, and um, it's his year. It's his year. We we should celebrate him all year long. And we should um, mention too before that the Cubs are in town for three games before that. So yeah, I was going to mention during that that first Cubs game on that Friday the twelfth, we're doing a really cool uh, long sleeve retro hoodie. It's got little pictures of the Kingdome and old school logos on it. Uh, fun yes. giveaway. You can see a picture on Mariners.com/promotions. Uh, another kind of retro turn ahead, turn back thing that we're doing on April twenty sixth when the Diamondbacks come to town. Uh, we're going to do a turn ahead. Remember the turn ahead clock jersey that oh, yeah. black and maroon, the one that Junior was rocking? Uh, we're going to give that away on the 26th. And then the next day, we're going to do a turn ahead the clock uh, neon cap or turn back the clock neon cap. So we're, we're, we're messing with the clock that weekend. We're going oh. back. We're going ahead. It should be a lot of fun. Yes. I love that giveaway. Yes. That's, that's one to mark circle on the calendar. April 26th, I... turn ahead the clock jersey. Diamondbacks, uh, team that went to the World Series last year. A couple of familiar faces as well in town. That's Corbin Carroll coming home. Series. Yeah, yeah. The whole All Star story with him playing at T-Mobile Park was incredible. What a great year he had, and for him, just the timing of everything. And you know the stories of where his banner was, and that was the entrance that his family used to go in when he was a kid. It's just. Super greatest. cool for Baseball's him. Baseball's the greatest. Yeah, it is. It is. And a, a kid from Queen Anne made it and made it to the, you know, the biggest stage. And it'll be fun to, to see him back here as well. The uh, the Funko Pop series. I know you're a big fan of them. Gary. I am actually. Yeah. And this year we got two. Okay. Uh, May 10th. We're doing a big dumper. He gets his own Funko Pop, which should be great. Um, and then uh, The Rock on September 14th, oh. Luis Castillo. So two good ones. Yes. Fist up. Um, so the Funko Pops are back this year. The fireworks are back. We got eight shows uh, starting in late May, most Fridays and July 3rd, you know, kind of kicking off the 4th of July weekend. Um, some other fun ones to mention. Mother's Day, we're doing a cross body bag on Mother's Day. Always fun to come to the mm -hmm. ballpark. And then Father's Day, you ready for this? Father's Day, we're doing a stadium seat cushion. We haven't done one of those in a long time. But who else should be on the stadium seat cushion then? The big dumper, of course. Yeah, it'll be yes, big dumper stadium seat cushion night for I love it for dads on on Father's Day. I love it. Um, also, JP gets a bobblehead on the 28th. We're doing Hawaiian T-shirts on the 29th. Value games are back. Uh, third of our games are going to be value games this year with tickets starting at 10 bucks. Great deal. Great way to get out to the park with the whole family. 
And then, yeah, you you and I kind of touched on a little bit. It's just, you know, in the years that we've been here, I've never seen a schedule like that, like a home schedule with a rebalanced yeah. schedule, having all these great opponents come to the ballpark. Oh. You get your Red Sox, Yankees, Rangers, Astros, which will be fun. But then you see the Cubs and, you know, as you mentioned, the fun Reds team and Corbin Carroll and the Diamondbacks and the, you Atlanta. know, Braves. Atlanta yeah, comes Atlanta. in in the first month. Like it. Yeah. This schedule in the first month like it's challenging from a baseball perspective, but yeah. super interesting. There's going to be a ton of great players, great teams. This is why we talked about it a ton last year. This is why I love the schedule rule. We see the A's enough, enough of the Rangers, enough of the Every Astros. couple of years, we'll see everybody, right? Yeah, and no more like going six, seven years without seeing, you know, name your star, right? right. And we get to – fans in Seattle get to see – the great players at least every other year, which is the way it should be. So I, I love it. And when I look at how the schedule lays out in the first month, it's like, yeah, give me, give me the Cubs. Give me the Reds. Give me Atlanta. Like, this yeah. is great. Let's see the Diamondbacks. Let's yeah. see where we are against the, the National League champs. I mean, yeah. it should be fun. And then you get into August and you see the Phils and Mets and Giants. I mean, that's, that's fun Beautiful. baseball next summer. Beautiful. I love it. Well, Gigi, this won't be your last visit this year. The plaque is on the way. Uh, We appreciate the time tonight, and we'll talk to you you. soon. Good to talk to you, Gary. Go Mariners. That was Greg Green. That's going to do it for us tonight on the Hot Stove. Big thanks to Justin Toole with us for a long time. Also, Colt Emerson, very fun chat. Justin Hollander with us early in the show to talk about the big trade. And, of course, Mitch Garver, one of the newest Mariners. If you missed anything, it'll be on Mariners Pod coming up tomorrow morning. Until then, that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you next week on the Hot Stove.